Hey everybody, how you doing? It's Clayton here from howtodrawcomics.net and welcome to today's podcast episode. In this week's episode, uh, we have Erica Williams, who is standing in for Rick Bulow today. He is, unfortunately can't make it to this this week's episode. He's a little bit under the weather, a few deadlines to catch up on. So I invited Erica onto the show, and it just so happens that not only is she uh, my wonderful partner and amigo in life, but she's also an excellent artist and art teacher as well. So we have the art in common, we have the teacher side in common as well. So how you doing, Erica? You doing well? Good bit... morning. <laughs> Are you a bit nervous? I'm a little bit nervous. I've never done a podcast before, even though I'm used to getting up in front of a classroom of people and teaching them how to do art. It's a different format, but I'm excited to jump, jump on board. Yeah, totally. I love it because it's kind of like teaching in front of a classroom, except there's no one looking at you. You just kind of have to... But that's the best part. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course, being up on the stage. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, you've been teaching for how long now? Um, I think only two years. And I'm not a formally trained teacher, but I'm not a formally trained artist either. I just kind of made it all up as I went along and seemed to do pretty well at both, luckily. Um, But ever since I started teaching... Probably thanks to your encouragement initially, because um, I wasn't a teacher when we met, um, and now I love teaching. I absolutely love it. It's so rewarding to be able to see immediate feedback from your students and see the joy on their face when they realise that they can create art. Yeah, totally. And you've you've got a real knack for teaching as well. Like oh. you've got a real charisma up there. the The crowd loves you. So uh, you know, and I, I as well was not a naturally trained, uh, well, a formally trained artist, I guess you could say, or a formally trained teacher. Taught oh, unqualified no. for uh, probably about five years before they made me go get my uh, training and assessment certificate. But um, I think that that's something that is a common occurrence in some of the most amazing artists that we look up to out there. Um, For example, Todd McFarlane, Greg Capullo, none of these guys were formally trained. Really? Yeah, they didn't go to art school or anything like that. And the funny thing is, is when you talk to students who have been to art school, they don't really get a whole lot out of it except a giant debt. Yeah, Um, I've heard pretty much all the people I've heard that have been formally trained in art school, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, mm. it was good, or the teachers weren't that great, or... They didn't teach me what I wanted to know, or they taught me how to paint, but not how to actually make a living off my art. But no schooling system is perfect, except howtodrawcomics.net, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, one of the reasons I was inspired to create howtodrawcomics.net in the first place is because online courses that were actually done by professional comic book artists that I could download and kind of watch at my own pace and kind of, you know, pause and play the video as I was drawing along with these tutorials. Mm. You know, that is what really got my skill set to the next level. Mm. Um, So probably one of the most notable courses that I'm always, you know, recommending to my students is uh, David Finch's Gnomon Workshop classes where Mm. he basically went over the entire human figure and talked about the movement of the of superheroes and that kind of thing. And he also has you know, a whole other course that he's done on his website as well on top of that, which is just as good. But I remember that when I jumped into that and I actually put into practice what he told me to do mm-hmm. as I was watching, that's when my, my drawing abilities just took a massive jump. Like before that, I was kind of like, you know, flying blind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really have any... Um, 
navigational equipment, you could say, <laughs> right? No yeah. compass or direction to go in. And so uh, after I watched his stuff, and back then, I don't think there was a whole lot of content on YouTube either. Like, you didn't get Jim Lee, who was on, who's on Twitch every week mm. or every other week, you know, drawing, doing these hour-long demos, mm. right? Um, all you really had was a few artists here and there who had been hired by these larger educational companies mm. and, and had put the courses together. So that was really cool. And uh, I think even now today, like, there's just so much content out there. And I guess that kind of is confusing in a way because when I jumped on to David Finch, it's like David Finch was the only comic book artist telling me to do it in one specific way. So mm. it was easy. I just did what he said. But because there's so much stuff out there on YouTube now, it's like, well, which artists do I listen to? Mm. And, and they all say different things for the most part, probably. Yeah, exactly. So how did you come up in the game? Like, what? who taught you how to paint? Because the, the cool thing about uh, this little chat that we're having is that I'm predominantly a digital artist. Mm. So I do all my colouring, all my inking, all my pencilling. I do that all on the computer mm. using a very old piece of hardware, a <laughs> Wacom Intuos 3, which is, I think I was using that in high school. Um, <laughs> and I've kind of carried it with me ever since. Maybe I don't if know. it works. Well, it hasn't broken down just yet. So, um, But you're traditional mm. and you have a major background in acrylics. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. Like, how did you even get into it? What? Um, I just kind of make it up as I go along, to be honest. I think ever since I was a kid, I've always been drawing on the walls and getting the pencils out and probably doodling, so to speak. I've been a doodler, a chronic <laughs> doodler for my entire <laughs> life. And um, I think I never considered art as a career choice because, you know, I mean, definitely when I was growing up, people would probably laugh at, like, I want to be an artist. Like, it didn't really sound impressive to myself, so I didn't think it would be kind of the right path to follow. So I studied, mm. you know, creative advertising and worked in advertising for a few years. Yeah. And then I was like, well, this, I don't like this, this corporate gig. I don't want to put on my corporate lady clothes and go to work for nine hours a day for somebody else in a soul-crushing job. Yeah. And that's when I thought about what really made me happy, which was art, which was just drawing. So I quit my job and I sat down and I started using watercolours. So that was kind of my introduction to painting was I was quite comfortable with pencils and sketching and drawing. And watercolour was kind of my first little step into the painting universe, which um, is weird because watercolours are so difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I got into watercolours and then... I'm not sure what encouraged me to take the leap to acrylics. Probably my friend Sam, who was a, an acrylic artist at the mm. time. Um, and so I started painting with acrylics. And acrylics are really hard as well. And then probably took me, I reckon, four years of dedication to just being an artist and having some side gigs going on the side to give me a bit of income. And then I got really good at acrylics, I would say. Um, and then just in the last year, I've switched to oil paint. So I think it's always a matter of mastering your medium or mastering what you want to do, mastering a particular style, and then getting the best you can and then changing the battlefield or the, you know, the goalpost, so to speak, and then leveling up in a whole new realm. 
Yeah, totally. And branching out into different areas, because sometimes doing the same thing over and over again is going to get a little bit stale, mm. right? It's not going to keep you hooked. It's not going to really give you the creative inspiration and, and juice that you had before to actually, mm. you know, wake up every day and crack into it. Totally. So I don't do, know if I do that on a subconscious level, whether I mix my approach up. Um, I think you probably do because yeah. we're, we're always looking at each other's artwork and commenting on how it's progressing and changing and developing and looking at your artwork, especially in the last like year, let alone the last couple of months even, I'm always walking in and saying, hey, your style's, you know, it's slowly changing. You're figuring out the parts that you like about your style and pushing them a bit further. You're a bit more confident you know, mm. as if you needed any more confidence. <laughs> but you can see the confidence to make your own creative decisions mm. and like them and not care what anybody else thinks. Like, you're not following the rules as much. Totally. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I really feel that. And do you think that's an experience thing or an age thing? Like, do you think that mm. somebody who was just getting into art, say you know, in their late 20s mm. would have a different experience to somebody getting into art in their teens. Yeah, I think it's more of an experience-based thing mm. because the longer you do something naturally, the more confident you would think you would get. And I think at our ripe old age of, how old are we, 28? <laughs> yeah. Um, we're both confident, more confident in life and mm. more confident in art because we've been doing it for probably the same amount of time as well. So I'm not sure. Let's say if someone was starting, just starting their art journey now at age 40, mm. would they be more confident than we are because they've had more life experience even though they've had little art experience? Totally. Because I've felt like as time's gone on that I have let go of a lot of the... I guess anxiety or worry or particulars that I would have had when I was younger. Yeah. And it's not that I don't care as much, but I'm not as precious about certain things that I was before. Mm. And so, of course, I'm still a, a chronic perfectionist. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> Always have been. But at the same time, I am willing to let a few things go. And I think because of the mere fact that I'm willing to let those things go, it all works out well in the end anyway. Mm. Because I'm not worrying about it. I'm just going with the flow, getting into that creative process. Then the outcome ultimately just kind of comes together on its own. Mm. And it's like those things that would have worried me previously never even get a chance to pop their heads above water. I think that's confidence. Yeah, I think it is. And the more confident you get, the faster you get, and the more solidified your style essentially starts to look. Mm. Right? And I've noticed that as artists journeying together, your artwork, if we look back at it mm. from years ago, it has also completely transformed. Isn't it satisfying yeah. to look back at your artwork? I love it when people do the post saying, oh, here's a drawing from 2008 compared to 2018. And it's like, you, I get goosebumps, I reckon. Like, it's one of those things where you work so hard at your craft and you love it, but you work hard at it. And sometimes because it's such a gradual progression, like, you know, when you haven't seen someone for a long time, you notice how different they look. But when you see them every day, yeah. you don't notice the changes happening. It's kind of the same with your artwork. And I think it's really important, although it's super... <laughs> it makes me laugh when you see that they post two, like a year or two apart, and it's yeah. not any better. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. like, ooh, you gotta, <laughs> you got to sit down and think about what you're doing. Because if you go two years or one year, or even 
like a month mm. without getting better or changing or growing, then you're probably, you know, a bit too comfortable and need to think about what you're doing a little more. Mm. Well, yeah, that, that's totally it. Mm. I find as time goes on, style and the amount of focus that you put on it kind of goes in reverse, right? In the beginning, you start out and you're learning all the fundamentals. You don't even know what form, perspective, and proportions are yet. Mm. You're just trying to tackle each one at a time and conquer it and get better at it. And at the same time, you're like, who am I as an artist? What's my artistic identity and style? And mm. there's a, a large proportion of focus placed on that that doesn't really need to be there in the beginning when you're only focusing on the fundamentals. Totally. And... What nobody tells you is that style just kind of comes about on its own over time. As mm. you, again, we were talking about confidence before, as you get more confident, as you find new inspirations to help direct that style, mm. slowly but surely the look of your artwork comes into form. Totally. But then I found that as you get older, it kind of goes in the reverse. You forget about form. You know all the fundamentals. <laughs> you've got that down pat. You're all good to go. And you, you feel like you've found your style, your mm. look, right? Mm -hmm. However, what ends up happening is that as you continue to progress, that style changes. And you're mm. like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I thought my artistic identity was like this. Set in stone. But now it's this. Mm. And my artwork's changing and it's growing and it's continuing to mature. Mm. And I don't know if that's happened for you, if you've noticed it in your artwork or maybe some of the listeners out there, if you've noticed it in yours... But for me, it had a profound effect. It kind of made me like, I guess, it it made me feel almost unfamiliar with my work in a way. Who like, is this man drawing my pictures? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I would be doing a, a, I would be drawing a character that looked one way one month, and then the next month or the, a few months later, mm. I'd draw the same character, but they'd be drawn differently, and I'd be mm. like, ah, but I thought I'd already found my look, and now it looks about... like this. In particular, doing the production of the female heads course, and I think yeah. maybe, I reckon eight months ago, when you'd drawn some female heads heads for the course, and now you're sort of retouching on those and mm. redoing some of them, and if you put them together, they look really different, don't they? Oh yeah. I mean, I can tell they're both done by you. Like anyone looking at them would say they were both done by Clayton. Yeah. But they're also really different, and I can see the confidence and the comfortableness you are in the new ones, where the other ones, you could see they were a little rigid. You mm. weren't maybe super confident, even though they still look freaking amazing and everyone else would be jealous of your bad artwork. Oh, please, please. please. <laughs> um, but that's a really beautiful thing to experience for yourself and to see in fellow artists is that development. Mm. We should all be constantly... No one should have the same quality or style of artwork mm. for a long amount of time. Like, you're just, there's always room to grow. Even if you're the best, if you're a pro, you should still be growing. Totally. And it's really good to be able to realize that, that it's okay to grow because I found that I was kind of almost holding myself back mm. to an extent. Like, I was like, oh, I know I could change my artwork in this way and it'd make it that little bit more better, but then it would look different mm. to the style I've already established. Totally. I think this pressure to be consistent is not helpful in the long run. And particularly in, you know, I'm not sure how it is in comic art creation, but certainly in, in my sort of more traditional forms of painting, um, artists are known for their style and they get a fan base and collectors based on that style. 
you know, it's kind of like when a when a, your favorite band or musician releases a new album, and it sounds totally different. Everyone's kind of like, ooh, like, oh no, this is what are the they sound doing? Like, but at the same time, when they release an album and it sounds exactly the same as their last stuff, everyone goes, well, they've just remade their last album again. It sounds like exactly the same. So it's okay. kind of hard to win. So I think for me, the obvious answer is grow, grow and do better, mm. try new things, even if you. You know, I think at the start of this year, I was trying to go for a little bit more realism in my work because I felt like that's where I had to go to be better mm. and less sort of pop surreal, which is what I was doing before that. So I got heaps better at looking at a reference photo and sort of replicating it. And then I was like, well, this is boring. <laughs> this doesn't feel like I'm expressing myself. This feels like I'm copying a photograph, which is not for me what I want to be doing. So then I, you know, it was valuable to sort of take a detour and try something different. And I grew from that and now I've reined it back in and come full circle and I'm using a bit more surrealist elements, but also I've learned how to do more figurative approaches to the painting and combining the two together. This is just making me want to like go off and paint right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm getting absolutely. excited. <laughs> absolutely. Big time. I mean, that's what's great about these podcasts is by the end of it, we're like ready to get to work straight away. I know. And I have to go to actual work and teach people how to paint. Oh yeah. Well, you'll be painting there at least. Yeah. So it'll be great. And yeah. you know, the podcast sort of got you warmed up, right? Totally. This is a good warm up, actually. I feel like my voice is, you know. Mm -hmm. Having to talk for like nine hours a day to a room full of 40 people is... Insane. It is That's insane. crazy. I yeah. know. <laughs> um, and they listen to me. Isn't I that nice? Know, I don't know how you do it. It's just such a long period of time to be talking and teaching. It is. I mean, there are breaks because, you know, I'll instruct people and do a bit of painting and then I'll leave them to it to put into practice what I've said. So there's, you know, I'm not literally talking for nine hours. Yes. Although I do do like a good chat, so it's well suited to me. You can get a few breaks in between. Yeah. So your art has changed mm. a lot. How are you feeling about it right now? Like where you're currently at? Are you like, I'm doing the best art that I've ever done. I feel awesome about it. Are you... Are you satisfied with it or are you contemplating areas in which you can continue growing and things that you would like to intentionally change about it? Mm, I think um, it's funny because I'm not super critical of my previous artwork. I think some artists out there, perhaps even yourself, mm. can be very critical looking back and sort of cringe at their old stuff. And I think it's important to realise that you've grown and that you can do better now, but I know that I always did the best I could at any given time. So when I look back, when I go to my mom's house and she's got all my old paintings up on the wall from when I was, you know, anywhere from 22 back to 16, back to 12 years old, and I look at them and I go, I really enjoyed painting that when I was 16 and I had a great time and I love it for what it was. So um, it is really satisfying to look back at those things and looking at my artwork now, and the direction it's going in, I just feel excited and happy, you know? Mm. I think you know you're doing the right thing where I don't really get artist block a lot mm. or creative block that people get it. I did have it once this year, though, mm. which caught me off guard, and I did not know what to do. I felt like, you know, I had done one really good painting that I loved, right? It was that galaxy girl. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was really happy with the style and how it looked, and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, how do I live up to that? How do I continue this style with the next painting? And no matter what I came up with, I did all these sketches and I would, you know, it wouldn't fit in the box that this other one had created and, and I was kind of freaking out I was going to lose this new direction that I'd found. 
and I was getting sick of it. I'm like, this is, what is this delay? I want to get painting. So what I did was I grabbed my board and I thought, what do I feel like painting? No pressure. This doesn't have to be the next great painting. And what I did was I grabbed my three favorite colors and I just painted them on the board. No direction. No, it was just a gradient. It went from pink to purple to teal and it looked beautiful. And as soon as I'd done that, I felt happy. I looked at it and immediately was inspired of what to put over the top of that background. It came to me just like that. That's awesome. So I think if anyone, that was a really good lesson for me that sometimes you don't have to overthink what you're doing. Don't try and fit your work into a formula or consistently perform. Because if you start doubting yourself and not just doing what you want, mm. you're going to end up blocking, blocking all those ideas up in your head. And, and it's sometimes better to just go with the flow, quite literally, just paint or draw, mm. even if it's rubbish. And, you know, you scrunch it up, finish it. Don't get two minutes in and think, oh, this is bad and scrunch it up or start a drawing and then like abandon it. I think it's always important to finish a piece and you learn more from it than if you abandon it, you know, <laughs> a couple of hours in, which I think some artists are prone to doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> I am so, so guilty Look, of that. Look, I didn't that. want to point the finger. <laughs> um, sticking to a formula has been a big deal for me and consistently trying to develop that formula so that I can optimize my process and get a consistent outcome every single time pencil goes to paper. Mm, especially because you're teaching it. Especially because I'm teaching it. And that has been one of the advantages of teaching is I've gotten to come up with this formula and I've gotten to develop that formula and then hand it off to those I'm teaching in a way that gives them the same results that I'm getting. Mm. And, you know, that's the main goal and that's one major advantage. But at the same time, the process and the structure can hold you back from mm. branching out into other potential avenues that might have been a massive improvement or a massive adage to what you're doing now. Mm. And I totally and 100% get what you're talking about when it comes to the anxiety one feels when you do an immaculately drawn mm. artwork <laughs> or painted artwork and it, it's just like, whoa, I can't believe I did that. This, this looks amazing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was capable of this. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty hard to jump onto the next piece and go, well, uh, yeah. All right, time to time to do the exact same immaculate piece of artwork that I did previously, and mm. it's just like so much pressure is on them to perform not, to the same level. Pressure is not helpful sometimes. Sometimes it is, not all the mm. time. And I find that sometimes you have to. What we say in our in my painting sessions is roll with the happy accidents. So sometimes you'll put, you know, a paintbrush you know, in the wrong spot and make a stroke and you're like, oh no, that wasn't the right spot or, you know, a pencil if you're drawing. Mm. And sometimes you can just stand back, look at it and say, okay, if I have to leave this here, maybe this happened for a reason or maybe this is a challenge for me to incorporate this element or to work with it. I know with digital, it's a little different because you can so easily just like control Z, control Z, control Z and undo what you've done or like just delete a layer. But in traditional painting, especially in my two hour, three hour sessions I do, yeah. Sometimes you don't have time to fix something. You just got to roll with it and make it work. You know, put a frog in there to cover up your mistake <laughs> that you just have to roll with it sometimes. And I think more often than not, with the happy accidents, you can learn something more than if you make everything formulaic and perfect, air quotes, mm. um, which sometimes doesn't lead to 
growth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, it's just one of those things where you, you've got to leave yourself open. I found that thinking and creativity, you can't put them in the same room together. They just mm. they just clash. But they're right? like your two favorite things. I know. Right? <laughs> That's why it's so difficult because I overthink things way too much. Mm. And I find that the time at which I do my best work is when I'm not thinking, when I'm enjoying the process, and I'm into it. Like, I'm, mm. r- I'm there with it. And it it's a very kind of like... It, it brings me back to when I was younger, when I was a kid, just drawing, and mm. I wasn't thinking about trying to make it any one particular way at all. Mm. And I was just having fun with it. So that is the zone to be in, ideally. Mm. And in the beginning, I think there's kind of like a transition where when you're just starting out, of course, your brain has to be logically aware of all these things that it needs to consider in order to make the artwork actually work. Mm. Okay, So I'm talking about things like perspective and form and foreshortening and proportions and all that good stuff. Which we don't really think about Which anymore. we don't really. think <laughs> about anymore because it's assimilated, right? But oh, we in- do think about it, but not like, okay, I need to make sure the proportions are correct. Like, we just make the proportions how we want them. Exactly. Exactly. And we we start out and we're, we're totally and 100% aware of that stuff until we learn it. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, our brain absorbs that information, it puts it into practice, and it mm-hmm. becomes muscle memory. It kind of mm-hmm. goes back into our subconscious mind. And it's almost like we get a new part to the machine mm-hmm. that makes our drawing abilities work. It's like, oh, cool, you've got a new upgrade. You just got a badge. You got yep. a gym badge. You, you got the proportions badge. You yep. got the perspective badge. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about that anymore. You can yeah. start focusing on the higher tier things like composition and lighting and mm. color and whatever else comes next. You can sort of get rusty on some elements. Like in one of my sessions re- recently, we were drawing um, buildings, huts on the beach, and, you know, I learned perspective at school. I did, you know, all the proper drawings with perspective and that kind of thing. And, and somebody, I had to teach people who had never drawn or painted how to draw a building in perspective. And I realized, I don't know if this is correct, but it was two-point perspective, yep. right? And I, they were drawing it in one-point perspective. Mm-hmm. So the building kind of just kept getting bigger, if you can imagine yeah. what I mean, yeah. rather than coming back. I'm um, coming back down for the two points towards the horizon. Yeah. If I don't know, this is probably not great to, totally. to try and describe, but <laughs> I realized, oh, wow, I haven't used... I don't paint buildings yeah. or sort of anything other than people and sort of things mainly in the foreground that don't require mm-hmm. that much sort of architectural perspective. And when I had to sort of reflex my muscles and explain mm-hmm. that to people and, and, of course, paint it myself, I could paint it myself without thinking about it, but then to explain that I'm like all right let's learn about perspective guys (laughs) yeah absolutely I 100% agree with that it's so weird that you forget things you do you really do I'd forgotten not really I just hadn't been conjuring it to the forefront of Mm. my brain frequently it's still there still there in the filing system it just takes a little while to unzip (laughs) yeah right and that's the great thing is because you've already learned it yeah, you might get a little bit rusty from time to time, but it doesn't take anywhere near as long to mm. reacquaint yourself with that stuff. Mm. And I already know that because I've been drawing female heads for literally a year... <laughs> Do you miss what, the dudes? <laughs> I miss the dudes. And I know that when I draw the dudes again, they're going to probably require me to have a few warm-up sessions in order to, again, just re 
reinitiate mm. my knowledge for drawing male heads, right? Guaranteed, they're probably going to look a little bit feminine. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and the funny thing is, though, uh, do you know, I heard once that when it came to what kind of male heads were attractive, both men and women find that more feminine-looking male mm. heads are actually the most attractive, Why which is really funny. Why do you think I like funny. you so much? Uh, funny, <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, totally. So, um, yeah. I think classically feminine features, especially when designing artworks, give you a different personality, whether they yeah. are a male or a female. So adding bigger eyes to a character makes them probably more relatable, more totally. emotive, you know, in positive mm. ways. Although once... I don't remember what this was, whether it was related to Disney cartoons or comics mm. or something. No, it was, you know that movie Unbreakable with yep. Bruce Willis? Yep. And there's comic, it's very comic book stylized, that film. And I think the bad guy who was played by, ooh. Who was it? Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. Is that the movie yeah. I'm picturing? Yeah. And he was that, um, you know really evil dude and he was describing how villains were portrayed in comic books and he oh, yeah. said that the villains often had bigger wider eyes to demonstrate that they had a different perspective of the world that's so cool i know and i traditionally wouldn't do big eyes on a villain you'd do smaller eyes to make them look more menacing yeah right? totally. but i just remembered that point in the movie where he's explaining that we might have to do some <laughs> comic book research on bad guys yeah, to see totally. if they are totally. portrayed with bigger eyes. A hundred percent, I agree with that. Um, and there's a lot of little psychological things at play when it comes to mm. this stuff. And you, can, I mean, that's just the eyes we're talking mm. about. You can imagine the entire body, body language, nonverbal communication, mm. and how much that can impact the reader. Since we are working in a visual medium when it comes to comics. Well, I think something that can be overlooked in sort of art and illustration is body language. Oh, yeah. Of the characters you're posing. It's like you can know all the anatomy, you can have an amazing style, but if you're posing them with body language that is not uh, sort of appropriate to what you're trying to convey, it can totally change the message. Like if they're standing like straight up mm. like a model rather than sort of being slouched or casual, you change the vibe. And I think a lot mm. of amateur artworks, you can see that they've learnt their anatomy really well in their style and it's the body language that's a dead giveaway that they haven't really made it to that level of, you know, polished artwork mm. yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, when you get that body language nailed and you can express who the character is and their personality, their mood, their temperament, how they feel about themselves, how they feel about other people just through the way they hold themselves, mm. that's when you go from just being able to do a technical drawing mm. that is, you know, scientifically accurate to a character that's actually alive. Mm. And the amount of impact that that can have, especially in a comic book, but really in any artwork, mm. is so underestimated. Like, it makes... It doesn't just make 10% of a difference. It makes 200% yeah, of a difference. totally. Like, you, you're breathing life into a, into a character. And if you think about, like, those traditional cartoons from, you know, the back in the old Disney days and, you know, Ren and Stimpy <laughs> and... Uh, you know, who else? What, what other? Oh, well, Rocco's was... Modern Life, Aww. right? Um, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is like those characters don't have any anatomical proportions <laughs> that you could note. Like they are completely out of whack, mm. right? They're, um, 
they're just uh, they don't abide to any of the rules. But you know what they do have? Mm. They've got life to them. So much life. Their movement and the way they express themselves. And the exaggeration of it. Exactly. Yeah, it's not just like it's not just body language. It's like body language times a billion. Times a billion. Right. <laughs> so if you can incorporate even a little bit of that into your your pinups, your sequentials. Whatever it is that you're painting or drawing, mm. it can make a massive difference. And it can really hook in the audience because they relate with it, right? Mm. When they see your characters holding themselves in a certain way, they go, oh, my friend holds themselves in the same way. Or even better, I hold myself in the same way. Mm. I'm feeling Peter Parker's anxiety right here. Even on a subconscious level, if you're not aware of that connection. The first thing mm. that popped into my head was... Dragon Ball Z and picturing <laughs> the body language. So I immediately thought, okay, Vegeta is going to be standing there with his feet slightly apart and his arms crossed mm-hmm. with his head slightly tilted down and all the things that that says about his persona. Totally. Goku, on the other hand, he's going to be standing there with one arm behind his head, yeah. scratching his head, the other one on his hip, and he's kind of, you know, going to have a slightly cocked head to give him this sort of quizzical, you know, look. And if they were positioned, their body language in the other way... Mm. totally different vibes going on right there. So it doesn't matter how anatomically perfect your drawings are, if you don't pose them in a way that aligns with the characteristics, totally. You're not you're not going to be communicating effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Big time. And I can picture them straight away. Yeah. And I, it's like you you feel them, right? One of the things I always say to my students, I was saying this yesterday during class actually. And I said, you know, guys, when you're coming up with a character, because right now one of their assignments is to kind of bring the character that they've designed to life through an action sequence, Mm. right? So it's just a small sequence of their character, you know, conducting some kind of action. might be getting out of bed, it might be riding a bike, whatever it is, (laughs) right? But the trick is, is that they have to do it in a way that conveys their particular character Mm. as that character, right? So each character needs to be unique and for first and foremost, you don't just want it to be a person riding a bike. You want it to be your specific character riding mm, that bike. Mm-hmm. And so I tell them as a technique, do you know what I try to do when it comes to getting my character to move on the page? I try to picture myself in a room with them, mm. right? <laughs> like they're standing there and I'm looking directly at them. And I try to really visualize that inside my mind before I draw it down on the paper. I ask myself... You know, how are they standing? Are they standing up straight? Are they slouched? Have they got one hand on on their hip? Like, are their arms crossed? Mm. Um, Are their legs together? Are they apart? Are they confident? Mm. And I think that when you can really sit down and put yourself in that room with the character and get to know them, that's when you're going to be able to create a major impression on your audience. Mm. That's when you're going to be able to get your audience coming back to you for those characters because they're going to fall in love with them, mm. right? They're going to they're going to get to know them because you've given them the ability to do so. Mm. And that's again why we go back to, you know, TV shows like Dragon Ball <laughs> Z, right? Because and we love those characters so much. Like when you said that, my face lit up because yeah. I'm like, "Oh yeah, totally." I love those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think um something that isn't often talked about in art is the psychology and how much psychology and sort of 
mentality goes into making mm. art. So something that I sort of chronically do is study people in person. Mm. So if I'm talking to someone in class, if I'm talking to you, I'll be looking at the way your nose is shaped when you make this expression and I'll be looking at, you know, the way your shoulders are arching and all sorts of different things and looking into people's eyes and what they look like and what they're feeling about mm. certain things. And then when I create art, I know, okay, if I place this shadow here, I'll create this form on the face which expresses this emotion. Even if it's like a subconscious thing, it'll make the viewer feel that and connect with that. And I think knowing how to create rapport with your audience mm. as teachers, something we both know how to do is walk into a room full of strangers and develop rapport immediately. It's the same with your art. Someone needs to look at your art and the art needs to establish a rapport with the viewer immediately. Totally. 100% agree. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that that's when you make a true connection with the people you're creating the art for and the artwork itself. Mm. And it's one of those higher tier things that only come later mm. where we don't even really <laughs> consider it in the beginning. It's like we're, we're so busy in the beginning just trying to figure out where to put that put that peck or deltoid or ab, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and which order they go in. And that all is hard. But um, it's funny, you know, come to think of it, when we were talking about how we kind of forget about this stuff from time to time and we require a little bit of uh, reinitiation into it if we haven't done it in some time, what I've found is that we don't really think about it as much as it becomes the process of almost like putting together a puzzle you've put together many times before. It's kind mm. of like you know where all the pieces go. So when I draw a character, for example, I habitually always start with the head mm. and then I habitually build down the rest of the body from the neck to the toes. Mm. And, you know, I build out the arms. I put the arms on last, actually, really? because, yeah, I do, because I always found the legs to be very tricky for me. So mm. I knew that the faster I could get them out of the way, the, the better I would feel about the drawing, right? Mm. So I'd add the arms on last and kind of build up my character that way. But it's funny because I'm not really thinking about the diagrammatical chart of the anatomical figure or anything like that. I'm mm. kind of just building up the figure without even really thinking about it based on the many times I've done it before. So mm. it's like a habit. It's like a pattern, right? Mm. And even the way that I overlay the anatomy on top of the basic mannequin model and base sketch that I draw up the way I place in my rendering and the order to which I do it in mm. is always the same. So I think later on, when you haven't done it in a while, it's kind of, it's you still know where all the anatomy goes. Mm. You've got that knowledge sitting there still, but it's about remembering the process and, and re-initiating those habits that you had developed. Totally. Right? I think um, a huge benefit that I've found in teaching my painting classes is that often I teach the same painting multiple times. Totally. So having only done it for two years, the most I've taught a painting is probably 20 times. Wow. But can you imagine doing the same painting 20 times? That's insane. And of course, I put some variation into it. I'll add, you know, an extra element, change the colours. But essentially, I have to teach different people the same painting. And something I noticed was this one particular painting of the beach that I was doing, right? I did it the same steps mm -hmm. every time until a couple of weeks ago I was teaching this painting and I was like, you know what? I could just blindly go through the steps and the process and, and it works. I know it works. 
But I'm going to try different steps, and I totally rearranged the steps in awesome. which I taught it. And you know what? What happened? It worked better. That's awesome. It worked better. And now I'm teaching it in a whole new way every time I do it. So wow. I think that we can very much get stuck in our patterns and mm. our habits. And that's good. You know, you can go on autopilot after a while with certain elements, and that allows you to focus on new skills because the other ones are sort of on the back burner. But I think it's also really good to challenge yourself and say, okay, if I'm not allowed to do it in this in this way, in these steps, and just force yourself to take an approach you don't think will work, I wasn't sure this new approach would work yeah. at all. But up in front of the room full of 40 people waiting to learn how to do it, you know, I'm a bit of a risk taker, what can I say? <laughs> totally. But it paid off. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so scary to do that, mm. to let go of what you know and venture into a whole other approach that you've never done before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But and it's confidence to know that, yeah. you know, I'm pretty confident. So getting up there and taking a risk and not knowing mm. if it was work would work, I trusted myself to mm. know that no matter what happened, I would make it work. Mm. And where did that re and where did that confidence come from? It came from repetition. Oh, yeah. Right? Doing that painting 20 times... I mean, that's going to make anyone confident, which is why I always say, guys, if you're listening and you're trying to get good at a particular part of your drawing process, whatever that may be, again, mm. you might be focusing on some of the fundamentals, maybe a higher tier topic to do with drawing. If you put that into practice on a repetitive basis and you practice it for like a week, right? You spend as many hours as you can fit in during that week and you just repeat it over and over again. Mm. It'll be impossible for you not to get better at it. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, you're learning it in the wrong way and somebody t is telling you steps that is just going to, you know, <laughs> take you two steps back rather than a, and one step forward, right? Mm. And I so. think sometimes you have to, rather than just learning from one person how to do something, learn from as many people as you can how to do the same mm. thing. So one thing that has been on my radar recently is really needing to go to life drawing classes. Mm. So it doesn't matter if you've been studying anatomy models and you know the perfect proportions of, you know, a man standing there doing nothing. When you go to a life drawing class, you cannot predict how the human how every individual human body moves. Mm. You cannot. So when I went to a life drawing class and the model was positioned in this, you know, uh, pose and I was drawing this particular part of the arm and I would have never, ever, ever in a million years mm. guessed that it would have looked that way. Yeah. Because every body is different, every physical body is different, and the way it moves is different. So going to life drawing classes, observing your friends and family when you're talking to them. Mm. So not just learning from an online course about the techniques, but actually looking at how real bodies look and move, mm. or cars or whatever it is that you're drawing. Um, I think learning from different sources gives a more dynamic appearance to your art, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Going out there and observing the world, mm. even if you're just doing it on your own. You know, you're being a creeper on the train. You're like looking at people <laughs> with your sketchbook and, and drawing them, right? Nothing worse, by the way, than getting caught doing that. I know. When they look up at you and they're like, what are you doing? Are you no, drawing me? That's when you turn the <laughs> sketchbook around and say, 20 bucks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, well, of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so, so true is, is branching out to other avenues that are going to add to what you already know. Because again, we it's not so much that we have to change up our approach 100% of the time. Like we can mm. still keep the same ingredients, but why not add more 
to the mix. Mm, bit more right? pepper. Bit, a little bit more pepper, a little bit more salt. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, that's going to hopefully create one heck of a cake. <laughs> pepper um, and salt in the cake. Maybe. I don't know. Goes to show how much cooking you're doing. None. None whatsoever. <laughs> um, you're the cook. And I, oh, man, you are an amazing one. Which Thank is you. why you probably know what just the right amount of ingredient is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, so I think that, you can get that from life. You can get that from online courses, but also observing other artists. Mm. So going oh, yeah. out there and tracking them down. And, you know, if you're a member of the How to Draw Comics Facebook group, you know that there is an, an absolute sea of incredible artists out there who have, like, are presenting immaculate artwork. They're not in the industry. I don't know why that they don't have a job, like, mm. permanently at Marvel or DC. Mm. But, you know, they're throwing out this amazing work. And you've got the opportunity there to ask them how they're doing that, like, oh. what their approach is. The really cool thing is some of them actually share it. They'll post up videos of their work in progress. And that is, I think we take that for granted a lot in oh, this yeah. day and age, where we've got this kind of educational content thrown at us left, right, and center. Mm. And so it's important not to take that for granted, to actually sit down, watch the video all the way through, mm. and to do a few studies based on what you've learned from that video because you're going to get so much benefit out of that. And most people don't do it. So if you're willing to, it's going to give you the edge. Oh, right? yeah. Your skill set is going to get a major boost above everyone else because... Most just don't have the patience anymore to sit down for an hour or two mm -hmm. and really immerse themselves in studying one particular area of their artwork that they want to improve. It's funny because people people will say, Clayton, what's the key to your success? Or, you know, Tony <laughs> Robbins, what's the key to your success? Anyone, anyone yeah. who's successful in their field, it's really simple. Mm. Work hard. Work hard. And that's not the answer people want to hear. You know, I actually hate doing studies. Mm -hmm. I hate anatomical studies and I hate drawing. I just love painting. So as soon as I could draw well enough <laughs> to get a painting done, I stopped drawing, Definitely. which is bad, I know. Um, but if you really want to get good at something like, say, hands or, um, you know, talking to people or picking up chicks at a bar, all you have to do is practice <laughs> and work hard, whatever it may be, you know, yeah, it can absolutely. be a hobby or anything you want to get good at in life. It's just repetition, perseverance, like do it. Mm. Like it's actually really obvious. Yeah. what you have to do. It's actually just hard to do it. Yeah. Just do the hard stuff and Absolutely. you'll be successful. <laughs> I think we want some kind of magic pill or novel answer to this stuff. But it's boring. It's really boring. Yeah. Skills have been developed in the same way for a very, very long time. Well, what do they say? They say 10,000 hours makes you an expert of practice. Is 10, that it? 10,000 hours of, of practice. Yeah, it's 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours, which I wish I had have timed my entire life <laughs> of how much time I've spent making art because totally. I don't know how... Do you, we might have to do some maths and calculate how many hours a day over mm. 20 years you would have to, you know, practice something. Yeah, totally. We should really figure that, that out. <laughs> um, I do feel like we probably have reached a point in our artistic development where, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've arrived. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm there, and now I'm enjoying just being there. And... I'm still pushing myself, I'm still developing, mm. but I do feel like, hey, you know what, this is really cool. Like, I don't feel like I'm struggling anymore. Mm. I feel like I'm ready to stop, this is bad to say, not, <laughs> not, not, not to stop learning, 
but to kind of take my foot off the accelerator of just focusing on that and mm. begin just making art. Mm. Right? I do. I know what you mean. I feel pretty comfortable at the moment. I think you can go through phases of discomfort in the creative process. And I think it does have a lot more to do with your mentality than your actual skill level. Hell yeah. So I think, you know, when I was 16, I was very comfortable in the art that I was producing. You yeah. know, I was drawing Dragon Ball Z stuff and, <laughs> you know, copying Pokemon and I had a great time and, you know, I wasn't looking at the flaws or anything totally. and, you know, that wasn't creating my own stuff. But mm. you know what I mean? It's more to do with, you know, maybe five years from now, you'll be totally uncomfortable with where you're at and you'll go through, mm. you know, a learning phase again where totally. you feel like you need to really need to focus on the skill set rather than just the creation process. Mm. And I kind of hope so, because that's the only way to push yourself to get better. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the time, you know, we kind th there's these points in our artistic development where we'll see somebody else better than us and or, or we'll see our own artwork kind of slipping in one area or another. And it can be super depressing, mm. right, to see other artists out there that are totally kicking your butt in terms of quality and in terms of skill. You know what I hate? What do you hate? When people... <laughs> this, sorry, I just got very yeah. uh, passionate yeah. about this. Yeah. People who comment on their favourite artist's artwork and they'll say, I'm going to give up now mm. after seeing this. Totally. Or I may as well stop yeah. learning because I'll never get this good. Absolutely. Nothing makes me want to slap someone in the face more <laughs> than that. Like, totally. You should be using that as inspiration. Look yeah. how could... Look how good you could be. This is the level you could get to. Yes, you can achieve this. Yeah. And I find that sort of negative mindset of, I'll never get that good or you're better mm. than me, so I may as well try. Like there is mm. so much room in the world. Everyone mm. could be the same totally. level of amazing. It's but not a competition. There's nothing worse than accepting that you suck. Awful, just right? awful. <laughs> and then you give up and you're like, I guess I just suck at that. And this is just me, mm. right? I guess I'm just terrible. Right. There is no use in saying that. Well, you will be. Yeah, you. well, you will stay sucking, yeah, right? You, you, you won't get that. any better. Yeah. And so I, I think that one thing you need, if you're going to be a mad comic book artist, a mad artist in general, whatever skill set you're, you're trying to win, get better in, right? Whether yoga. it's music, writing, yoga, sports, <laughs> whatever it is. Cooking. You do have to have some sense of ego and confidence about you like you have to have faith that if you keep on going you can be as good as that guy oh, that yeah. you're looking up to and admiring mm. and that's one of the reasons that when I do jump into a new classroom full of students and uh, I'm trying to get them into the right mindset for the year one of the first things I do is I will actually get up the howtodrawcomics.net website I'll jump into Shall the well. about section <laughs> And I'll show them where I began. You know, I'll show them what I was doing back in 2006, what I was doing in 2011, what I'm doing now. And the reason that I do that is because my artwork totally blew back in 2016. <laughs> it sucked big time. Aww. No, it really did. Like proportions, um, you know, no sense of anatomy, no understanding of, of lighting or color or anything like that. And to now, but it's important that students and people learning this stuff know that there is a journey to be had, mm. that no matter at which point you're beginning, there's always going to be that time. You're going to have to pay your dues and actually mm. put the work into getting better. It's not like you're born 
being able to do this amazing work. Oh, and right? I hate when people say, I wish I had your talent. Or oh, it's easy for you. You're talented. Or you were born yeah. this way. And it just, you know, slap, slap. Yeah, yeah, totally. No one is born with this. Sure, maybe totally. you have some people are just born with a different eye mm. or some, you know, prior knowledge mm. somehow imbued in them in a genetic level, but I think that's fairly rare. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's always important to remain humble, but not so much so that you're becoming depressed because you're not good enough, mm. because that's not going to be productive for anybody. Ultimately regardless of what craft you're pursuing, you need to have high self-esteem. Totally. And for you to get really good at something, do you think, you know, all the people who are great in their fields have low self-esteem? <laughs> I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Maybe they do have deep psychological issues that oh, we don't know about, but I would say to be successful at anything, you need to have high self-esteem yeah. to know that, one, you deserve success. Yeah. If you don't have high self-esteem and you're not telling yourself you deserve success, yeah. you're probably not going to get there. Well, you probably won't even have fathomed the kind of standard that you could live up to mm. if you don't have that self-esteem there in the first place. Yeah. So I, I think loving and appreciating yeah. yourself is the first step to success in anything. And I don't mean the traditional forms of success, you know, money, whatever. Mm. I mean, being a fulfilled and happy person in whatever you're doing. Totally. Absolutely. You know, I think of guys like Elon Musk, right, who's had a rocket that's failed a million times before. <laughs> like, you've got to have some kind of self-esteem there to keep on going. To keep trying, right? because failures will happen. Failure mm. is guaranteed. Totally. Success is not. Yes. So you got to love the journey and enjoy the journey and enjoy what you're doing regardless mm. of whether you reach some sort of epitome of success. Yeah. And as long as you're enjoying what you're doing... And, you know, the rocket failure <laughs> doesn't get to you and you keep going, you, you're more likely to achieve success. You will get to the moon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a weird sort of inception type thing where if you focus on the outcome more than the process, you're less likely to achieve the outcome that you want. Oh, yeah, totally. It's so hard, by the way, to yeah. actually put that into practice. Oh, so hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Easy to say. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, and, you know, this stuff is, is real too because, you know, I see some students in my classroom and it does suck because they're actually pretty sad oh, yeah. that they can't be as good as they want to be or, you know, they see everyone else in the classroom making progress but they're not. It's kind mm -hmm. of heartbreaking to see that mm -hmm. and it seriously happens. And, um, you know, I just want to always remind them that, hey, man, like, you will get there. It is a guarantee, mm. but you will have to put the work in. Oh, yeah. And it's um, also a matter of just... I see a condensed version of this because I don't teach students, mm. you know, for a term or a year like you do. I teach them for three hours and that's it. Yeah. And when people walk in, you can tell the ones that are petrified. Yeah. They'll have this look on their face. They'll come straight up to you and they'll say, <laughs> Erica, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm not artistic. <laughs> what am I going to do? Totally. I'm terrified. And I'll be like... Have a seat, relax, it'll be fun, focus on the process. And when they start painting and it looks terrible, I come over and I help them make it look better. And totally. then they're like, oh, yeah. that was easy. And then they learn how slowly to make it better themselves because they can see that yeah. nothing is static. Mm. You just build upon your skill set until it looks better and you focus on the positives. You should be aware of the areas that you can get better, but focus on the positives about your artwork so that you can build that self-esteem and confidence and then be aware of the things that need fixing as well. <laughs> totally. 
Well, thank you so much for being here, Erica. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. You are a natural at this podcast ah, stuff. Shucks, hopefully Man, it you're was... making me look bad. No, are <laughs> uh, you? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. I feel like, you know, that's I've ticked a box there. I've done a podcast now. <laughs> well, I'm sure that, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back sometime. Um, but before we uh, wrap this thing up, where can people find you online? Are ah. they what, what's your what's your Facebook uh, page? Please please tell me you have one of those. Yes. So um, my name is Erica, but uh, online and my artist name is E or Miss E. Mm-hmm. So you'll find me on Instagram as art underscore by underscore Miss underscore E, mm-hmm. and on Facebook as well. It's um, facebook.com forward slash art by Miss E. Awesome. Um, and anywhere else, if you just Google Art by Missy, my website is www.artbymissy.com. Um, and I'd love to, you know, get some new followers interested in my artwork. So if you'd like to see what I've been talking about, it's totally different from Clayton's artwork. Mm. Um, although we both Just like, as amazing. Ah, it's, it's a different thing. But if you're interested in sort of seeing more traditional mm. artwork, then yeah, give, give me a look up. And I'd love to find some new people to follow as well if you create artwork and... Um, want me to have a look at it, hit me up and yeah, I'd love to chat. Absolutely. Thanks again for being here and guys, thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. Until next time, keep on creating.